Our scripture passage for this evening is found in Mark chapter 8, verses 31 through 38. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. This is an uh, unusual sermon because it's got two halves that don't seem at first to be connected. In the first half, I want to open this passage of Scripture in such a way that you will admire Jesus and treasure Jesus and love Jesus and trust Jesus and hear the call that is mentioned there to take up your cross and follow Jesus. And in the second half of the sermon, I want to try to explain to you why I've asked the elders for an eight-month leave of absence. So now that you're apprised at how strange the two halves of this sermon are, let me pray that God would help you to listen to the first half for yourself as well as for me. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for Jesus and for his word, how we love his word. So rivet our attention on what he's doing here and what he's calling us to do. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Three times in this gospel, Jesus says the same thing. I want you to see all three of them with me so that they have the appropriate effect. The first one is right here. If you've got your Bible open to chapter 8, verse 31. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Now flip over to chapter 9, verse 31. It's easy to remember these because it's 831, 931, 10.33. So 9.31, he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, Son of Man, it is, it, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him. And when he is killed after three days, he will rise. Now turn over to chapter 10, verse 33. 
See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes. They will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him, and after three days he will rise. So when you put those three back to back, one conclusion you can make is this is really important to Mark and to Jesus, that they would say the same thing in almost exactly the same way three times. So at least four things are clear from these verses. One, Jesus is going to die. Number two, his death is intentional. He means to get killed. Number three, he will not commit suicide. He will be murdered. And he mentions the murderers every time. Number four, he will rise from the dead. And he won't rise from the dead vaguely, in general, like we will sometime in the distant future, precisely three days, and he's coming out. So the death is by appointment, and the resurrection is by appointment. This is a plan. And God clearly means for us to see it as an evidence of love for himself or for us. Why did he do it? That's not mentioned in any of the three verses, three mentions. That comes at the end of the third mention, namely chapter 10, verse 45. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. The great central fact of history is the Son of Man, the divine, exalted, human God, came to give his life as a ransom for many. That's the central fact of history. And my prayer is that it would be the central fact of your life. Nothing would be more central to your life than that God sent the Son of God, of man, into the world, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Now, this is not Jesus' idea over against the Father's idea. I'm going to ransom them because my Father is really angry at them. This is the Father's idea. The Father sent the Son. Now, in this passage, that's made clear uh, in an unusual way. Before I show it to you, let me make sure you realize how unlikely it is that a ransom could be paid for us. Listen to Psalm 49. Psalm 49, 7. Truly, no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life. The ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice. That's Psalm 49, verse 7 and 8. It's not going to happen. And then you read in verse 15 of Psalm 49, But God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol. No man can ransom my soul. God must ransom my soul. 
What a mystery in the way he would do it. He would come. He would come. He wouldn't just choose any old person. He would come, virgin-born. The Son of Man came to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, this is God's idea. How does it show up here as God's idea? Look at verse 32. He said this plainly, namely that he's going up to be killed. He said this plainly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Now verse 33. Jesus, turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God. But on the things of man. Peter, if you persist in resisting my plan to die, you side with Satan, not God. Satan doesn't want me dead. He wants you in hell. Satan doesn't want a ransom to be paid for those he's holding on to with all his might. He wants me to jump off temples to get fame, not go to a cross. He wants me to turn stones into bread to satisfy my desires, not give myself to die. Peter, if you get in my way, you're not on God's side. God sent me for this. You see how he brings it out? This is not Jesus against God. This is Jesus from God. This is God through Jesus for us. He's after us. He will pay a ransom. He will liberate Now, something strange emerges. Key question. Are you among the many? The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. How about you? Are you among the many? Are, are you ransomed? Are you still in bondage to Satan, sin, hell, death? Or are you free? Bound for glory. God on your side and not against you. Are you ransomed? And that's what the rest of this text is about. The text is structured, interestingly, and we will walk through it. Verse 34, calling the crowd to him with his disciples. So he's just rebuked Peter. Don't you get in my way on the way to pay this ransom. God sent me to pay this ransom. And calling the crowd, calling the crowd with his disciples, he said, If anyone, anyone, 
would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. The ransomed follow Jesus. That's how you can know if you're ransomed. The ransomed see him as compelling, beautiful. Yes, that's what I need. He's the one I want. They treasure him. They trust him. They're after him. That's what the ransomed do. Now, the structure that I mentioned is this. Every verse, 35, 36, 37, 38, begins with the word what? Look at your text and tell me from an ESV. Four. Every one of them. Four. 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 You all know, okay? All you people know here at Bethlehem, we know what this is about. This is argument. Because, 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 because. Now, you can... Let's just read it first before I turn it upside down. For whoever will save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Now, when you argue like that, one way to get light on the argument is to turn it upside down and instead of using fours, use therefores. For example, you might say, I'm eating lunch voraciously. For I was really hungry. For I skipped breakfast this morning. For I got up late and had to hurry to work. Or you can turn it upside down and say it like this. I got up late this morning and hurried to work. Therefore, I skipped breakfast. Therefore, I was really hungry at lunchtime. Therefore, I am eating voraciously. We all get this. This is the way logic works. You can either go frontwards with 444 or you can go backwards with therefore, therefore, therefore. So let's go backwards. Because sometimes light comes that way. We go either way. I just want to go backwards this time. I might go both ways if I had time, but we'll just go backwards. So we're starting in verse 38. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Now let's get the meaning clear before we say, therefore, verse 37. Okay, what's the meaning here? Well, what's the opposite of being ashamed of somebody. Being proud of them, precisely. Being proud of them. Not being ashamed to be identified with them. Really glad. Yeah, I'm with you. I love it. I'm not embarrassed. I'm not ashamed. I'm not, yeah, what a stupid idiot. I don't want to hang around with him. He just embarrasses me all the time. No. Let him who boasts finish it. Boast in the Lord. That's what we do. We redeem. We ransomed. The opposite of being ashamed of Jesus is being proud of him. So uh, he's saying, admire me so that you don't line up with those who are like the goats who have spent their lives considering me an embarrassment. Look, don't, don't get too discouraged here. He's not talking about your periodic failures to witness with boldness. 
he's talking about a settled heart sense. I just think he's embarrassing. I just think the cross is embarrassing. I think that way of salvation is embarrassing. I think the Bible is embarrassing. I think the idea of God is embarrassing. I'm in another direction. And he says, if, if you do that, if you go there, if I'm not your boast, but, but culture, the, the goat culture is, is your boast, that's where you'll be when I come. And that's the way I'll view you. I'll be embarrassed by you, my humans who thought the king of the universe was embarrassing. You want to be there? That's where you'll be when I come. Therefore, verse 37, what can a man give in return for his soul? Now that's a question, a rhetorical question that has no answer. You've got to turn it into a statement because he's making a statement. Therefore, there's nothing you can give in return for your soul. You have just regarded the ransom an embarrassment. There isn't anything else. If you are embarrassed by the ransom that is paid for you, there isn't any ransom. What can a man give if he has regarded the ransom as embarrassing? Nothing. Therefore, verse 36, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? If you gain the whole world, valuing it above me by being more proud of the world and what you can make of it than me, it won't be able to save you. Why? <laughs> because what can a man give in exchange for his soul? Because you've been embarrassed by the one thing that can ransom you. If you profit from the world, love the world, gain the world, and forfeit your life, therefore, verse 35, whoever would save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake in the Gospels will save it. Hmm. Being ashamed of the ransom that I paid for you, cuts you off from me. Verse 38. So that, therefore, verse 37, no ransom is possible. What, what can you give? Nothing. 36. Not even if you gain the whole world. Therefore, you will have your life forever if you treasure me enough to lose your life for me. Therefore, you will have your life forever if you treasure me enough to lose your life for me. One last step, verse 34. So, if you would come after me, deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. In other words, treasure me more than your own comfort. Treasure me more than your own safety. What's the opposite of self-denial? The idol of self-gratification. What's the opposite of cross-bearing? 
the idol of self-preservation. So be like Paul, Philippians 3.8. I count everything as loss for the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. He got that straight from this text. I count everything as loss like Jesus called me to do. For the surpassing value. This is not ultimate self-denial. <laughs> this is denial of sand. <laughs> so I can have gold. Brackish water for a holiday at the sea. We know this. <laughs> but it's costly. The Calvary Road was not an easy road. road. So he's worth it. And on the way there, self-denial, cross-bearing, willingness to die, deny yourself. So here's the transition to the second half of the sermon. As I have stood back over the, le- the last months and uh, looked at my own soul, my own sanctification, my own measures of self-denial and self-serving, my marriage, my family, my ministry patterns. I have felt an increasing need for serious assessment, a kind of Holy Spirit reality check in the light of God's Word. How am I doing? How is my soul doing in self-denial, in cross-bearing, in sacrificial service? On the one hand, I love the Lord Jesus. I love my wife. I love my five children and their families. These are the supreme treasures of my life, the Lord, my wife, my children, And I love my work. I love preaching and I love writing, speaking. I love leading Bethlehem, which I've been doing now these 30 years. Indeed, I hope that the Lord gives me at least five more years with you. If you want me and if if God wills it. On the other hand, I see several species of pride. Call them kinds if you don't like the word species. I have reasons for species. Pride is a, is a monster with a thousand species. There are several species of pride that I see here. Sometimes I allude to them as I preach, as I go along. They may not... I don't think they do, rise to the level of disqualifying me for ministry, though that's an interesting call, isn't it? What kinds of sins disqualify a person for ministry and what kinds don't? Nevertheless, while I don't think they do, I grieve over them. And uh, they have taken a toll on my relationship with Noel and others who are near to me, I think. Uh, Noel and I are 
rock solid in our commitment to each other, our love for each other. Uh, There's no whiff of unfaithfulness on either side of any kind. Uh, I said to the elders, however, that the term solid rock, rock solid, is not always an emotionally satisfying metaphor. Especially to a woman, a rock is not the best image of a woman's tender companion, is it? In other words, the precious garden of my home needs tending. I want to say uh, to Noelle, and she's sitting right here, so I will, I, I want to say to you, Noelle, that I want you to feel precious. Precious over the ministry. And as we've talked over these months about the stresses and strains of ministry and family, um, I think that she and I would say right now, the way, the way that best says this to her is an eight-month total breakaway from ministry. Forty-one years together, and that's my conclusion. I'm asking you and the elders, the elders have approved of this. In fact, one will stand here in a few minutes to say that. Um, I've asked this very differently than I've asked for a sabbatical or a writing leave. Um, In 30 years, I have never let go of my passion for public productivity, ever. Not vacations, not writing leaves, and not sabbaticals. And in this moment, this, this eight-month moment, I'm letting go of all of it. No book writing, no sermon preparation, no preaching, no blogging, no Twitter, no articles, no reports, no papers, no speaking engagements, with a few exceptions that Noel signed off on internationally because we might be able to do something special together. You can read about those exceptions when this letter uh, goes up tomorrow about 12 o'clock on the web. You could view this as a kind of fasting from public ministry. One of the goals of fasting... I hope it is for you in your various kinds of fasting. One of the goals of fasting is to determine levels of addiction. Right? Or, as Paul Tripp or Tim Keller would say, levels of idolatry. The reality check is, what will happen to John Piper's soul 
win and to my marriage and to my family and to my future? What, what will happen to me when, to use the words of a very sober, bold, wise colleague of mine on, on, on staff, when there will be no prideful sipping from the poisonous cup of international fame and notoriety. I need to find that out. And I don't know any other way to do it. You may think, whoa, a leave of absence is kind of a drastic step in the war against pride or idolatry. That's true. It is. But I'm not the only one that it affects. I hope that you, (laughs) Bethlehem, downtown campus, south campus, those of us here Saturday night, I, I hope all of Bethlehem will trust me and trust the elders who will talk to you in a moment that this will be good for you. Good for my soul. Good for our marriage. Good for my family. And good for our future together. God willing. I feel, frankly, <laughs> I shouldn't say this. It just sounds too triumphalistic. I just want to preach so bad it, I can't understand it. I mean, I love what I do. I would like to come back and do that for another five years. But... Let's keep that ache. That, that could ruin the whole eight months, right? Constantly cranking. Mm-hmm. It's not what it's about. Let me encourage you uh, with a little bit of process because you should be encouraged. Noel and I, she's sitting here, Noel and I are um, known inside out by a, a, a core of people at this church. Absolutely inside out. There are zero secrets in this marriage, in this soul, as we know ourselves and as we know the marriage. Zero. We are known. And, and the, the two who know us better are sitting there beside her, the Livingstons. Long-term friends and with us every step of the way through everything that we talk about, uh, whether in counseling, out of counseling, just known. In addition, Noelle is surrounded by a cluster of of loving women who know her, pray for her, support her, and me by a bunch of guys who hear everything, know everything. And so we are accountable, known, counseled, prayed for. Oh, how deeply thankful I am for the grace-filled culture of transparency and trust among the leadership of this church. You should fall down with gratitude to God that you go to a church that, that has followed us the way they have followed us in these months, indeed, in these years. So be encouraged about the, the climate of grace and the climate of support and the climate of transparency and trust. I, you, just, you just can't... People ask me, how do you, go, how do you, how do you feel about what's going to happen tonight? And I say, I, I, I am so surrounded. I mean, some of you may hate my guts. I don't know. But I feel loved here. 
I really feel loved here. I do. Every week I feel loved. In the middle of the week I feel loved. You know what love does? You know what grace does? It frees a person to be vulnerable. If you all hated me, I wouldn't be saying what I'm saying. I just feel safe here. I feel safe with those leaders right there. I feel safe with Noel. I feel safe with the Livingstons. I feel safe with God. I hope you feel safe with God. Or are you scared of God? That's what the text was about. A ransom to make it safe. I will preach three more times before I do this leap. So Easter, back here. Then I'm out in Vancouver. And then I'm back here two more times. I will say more. I'll say more about this. I'll say more about the goneness. I'll, I'll say more. So these few minutes are not all that you will hear. Um, God has plans for your good. Great plans for your good. Precisely through my being away for a season. God loved you in Christ. Past tense, I say that because the cross was unparalleled as an act of love towards you. He now loves you, pouring out his Holy Spirit upon you and drawing you to himself. He ransomed you for himself. You are his children and his inheritance. Oh, how secure and humble and joyful we should be when that meets the exaltation of Christ at the cross. I do apologize for the sins of my own soul, flaws of my character, stresses that they have caused you, family, and and are causing at least those three things. My own sins, the flaws in my character, the dysfunctions of people around me because of me, and so on. You can see why I love the gospel. My prayer and my high expectation is that these months will be a launching for a humble, happy, fruitful five years. I, I believe the best five years of 35 and the best five married years of 46. That's what I pray toward. That's what I believe toward. And that's what I ask you to pray toward.